If you'll open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 this evening. Romans chapter 12. And I've been dealing with some of the crud that everybody's been dealing with, I guess. So I be patient with me if my voice cracks. Or uh, Right now it's, it's low. It's a real manly voice. You know, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> not that I'm not manly, okay? I'm just saying that right now it's more manly than normal, I guess. <laughs> Whatever normal is, right? So tonight we're going to be talking about and looking at in God's Word, and I've entitled the, the teaching, Finding God's Will. So how many of you here tonight have struggled with that very thing? Raise your hand. Finding the will of God. And I personally believe that it's just not as hard as we make it sometimes, but boy, we do make it tough on ourselves at times, don't we? Overthinking it. Uh, and I know that given, you know, Chris and I are back here at the church, some of you have had some questions uh, such as, why did you and Chris leave Calvary Greeley with others four years ago to plant a church in Berthoud? Simple answer, because God said go. It was his will for us at that time. Why did you and Chris leave Calvary Berthoud last September and move to Colorado Springs? Because God said go. It was his will for us. Okay, then what are you doing back here at Calvary Greeley as an assistant pastor? Same answer. God said go. It is his will for us uh, to be here. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have had those questions on your mind recently? Nobody? Well, that's great. I can just scrap that whole part of the teaching, can't I? Just move forward. <laughs> well, for us, I think the best thing to summarize our situation and what we've been through Proverbs 16, 9 says, a, man heart, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Because we can many times have the desires in our heart to do and to act in a way that God would have us to go or to, to be, and yet the Lord is behind the scenes the whole time directing that. And what is fascinating, I think, with God is that our heart could be set on something, but since the Lord is directing our steps... God ends up changing our heart to be in alignment with his heart and what he wants to do. Isn't that amazing? It's like, guys, it's like our wives almost, isn't it? Coming around to their way of thinking. You know, it, Chris always says to me, well, I knew it would work out when it became your idea, you know, but it had to get to that point. But God works in our lives in such a way that he's guiding and directing us in ways that we don't always understand and aligning our hearts with his. I just think that's a wonderful quality of God. So you might wonder then what's our perspective given what's taken place in our lives on God's direction? You know, really, we've had, think about this, we've had three different addresses in three different cities within six months. How many of you want to sign up for that? Because you think about that, that's, well, at least two moves, isn't it? <laughs> and packing up all your stuff and going. And you guys, you might even be thinking, you and Chris are nuts. It just doesn't make sense to even do that. And you might be right in saying that. But still, we have found that being obedient to God's direction just doesn't always make sense to other people, does it? Uh, during this whole process, after Jeff and I had agreed that I was going to come back, I had a number of people that I had to meet with to let them know uh, that this was our desire, that we really felt God was leading us in this decision. And I was kind of gripping about it, you know? I was like, I don't know how they're gonna respond, and Chris will tell you that I was driving her nuts, you know? I was just, I was nervous about it because I wanted nothing but solid confirmation from God that this was what he would have us do. So I'm gripping about it. I meet with the first person, come back. Chris says, well, how'd it go? <laughs> Gosh, it went wonderful. I can't believe how well it went. You know, wasn't, wasn't really expecting it to go that well. Second person, well, it went really well. For the five people that I met with, all of them, was, it was just solid confirmation that this is what God was leading us to do. To even my employer at the time telling me, yeah, you, you don't want to be here. You should be doing what God wants you to do, which was a real encouragement. Now, I'm glad I had somewhere to go, you know, but still. 
But we knew that if coming back was going to happen, it would have to be and would be on God's terms. He would be the one that directed our steps. But questions came up for us as well. What, what will we have to give up? What will it cost? Are we really ready for another change in our life in this short period of time? And all the answers were, were yes. Everything that God confirmed in us was yes, do this. Because God wanted to take us from where we were to where he wanted us to be. Think about that. Not just in our situation or in situations that each one of you have been in you know, over time, but day to day thinking about how God wants to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Wherever that is, what's going on in your life right now, that morning, uh, middle of the day, end of the day, whatever it is, knowing that wherever it is that you are, God's got a place that he wants to take you to. And that's exciting. I see it uh, as an adventure. I really do. I, I feel like Bilbo Baggins sometimes. I'm going on an adventure, you know. <laughs> I do. I feel that way. Taller. Not as, not as ugly feet, you know. <laughs> Hairy big feet that are, never mind, let's move on. <laughs> so in our situation, I don't know how many of you have actually looked at a map lately, but going from Greeley, or from Berthoud to Greeley through Colorado Springs doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It it's, takes up a lot of time and it's, it's expensive too. It's not the most logical way to get there. Shouldn't have taken six months, should it? Logically, you look at it why, did it, why did it take that long? Well, God was doing his thing in the background, directing steps, working in the heart of Pastor Jeff and the leadership here, working in Chris's heart and my heart. And it was just a kind of an amazing thing to see it unfold and how it happened when no one was expecting it. You can talk to any of the leadership here and they will tell you, none of us had any idea that this was going to take place. So when it did, just like, well, this is either nuts or crazy, or it's God. Obviously, it was God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So finding the will of God in your life, for your life, We've all asked that question at one time or another. What's God's will for me in my situation? Amen? We've all been there. And I think the heart of all of us is that we want to be obedient to God's will for our life, but it escapes us. We just don't know what it is sometimes, right? So it brings us to the next logical question then. Where do we start in order to discover God's will? God's desire for us is to discover or find his will and then be 100% obedient to it. That's God's desire. He's not trying to hide it from us. It's not a game to God. So God is going to be revealing that to us in his own perfect will and his own perfect timing. But how do we go and seek that out? Certainly in prayer, but I believe just as importantly in his word. You're in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verse 2 this evening. Romans chapter 12, 2. And I believe that this one verse is a critical step for us in order for us to find and discover the will of God. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 are life verses for me. How many of you have life verses? You know, where you just, that's a verse that just really speaks to me time and time and time and time again. And these two verses are that for me. You guys might remember a couple weeks ago at the men's conference, I taught on Romans 12.1. So, these verses have spoke to me over the years many, many times. And so when this whole situation was going on, 
I went back to these two verses in particular to look at them to see what God had to say. And I believe they're just packed with nuggets of guidance for us in our Christian walk. So let's dive into this. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So several things in this verse should come to light immediately. You see what they are? There's two commands in this verse, and there's a promise. Two commands and a promise. The commands are what? Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And then the promise is that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So that last part, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, if that's our desire, if that's what we want to achieve, if that's our goal, if that's the end result to prove what God's good, acceptable, perfect will is, then we need to look at what comes before it, don't we? Those two commands. Because if we want that result, if we want to know and to understand the perfect, good, acceptable will of God, then we need to take the steps that Paul has laid out here for us in order to achieve that goal. So command number one. These are not suggestions. These are literally commands. The first one being, do not be conformed. So do not conform to what? Well, it says right after that, doesn't it? Do not be conformed to this world. How do we conform to the world? Well, I think we can gain more insight into that. Hold your place in Romans 12 and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John crazy as it sounds, is stuck right before 2nd and 3rd John. So <laughs> clear at the back, go to the maps and then turn left. 1st John chapter 2, and these verses talk about this very subject matter. 1st John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the there is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So don't love the world or the things in the world. That's the, that's the warning we have in that verse. And then it says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That's the result of loving the world. So what does the world represent in Scripture? Just a definition. It would be the philosophy and mentality of the world system. And it is contrary to the things of God. Totally. It's the world's way of doing things, which is basically, as we know, we see it every day, anything goes, right? The world system, the world's way of doing, doing things, doesn't call sin, sin. It rationalizes that sin is okay. Lying, cheating, fornicating, deceiving, etc. Rationalizing then that whatever feels good to you, the world says it might be sin to you, but it's not to me. So agreeing with this philosophy or adopting a lifestyle of this would be, by definition, conforming to the world. Conforming to this philosophy and mentality of the world system. Being accepting of it. Living by and doing what the world says is okay. It's a system not based on God's standard, but a standard of what the world says is acceptable. And so by God's standard then, it's defined as sin. So this verse, if you look at it, it could be rephrased to say, don't love sin. If you love sin, the love of the Father is not in you. If you are a lover of sin, you're not a lover of God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin. We all understand that, I hope. We do. We, we mess up. However, this lifestyle, what we see here, is one who loves and wants to reside in living this lifestyle of sin. So then, in verse 16, there are three things being pointed out that the world has to offer. Before we look at them, let's, let's just think about this. Broncos are looking for a new quarterback. Obviously, right? Bring a new quarterback in this year, 
And let's say that the coach decides, okay, just to keep things simple, we're only going to run three plays all year. Throw the whole playbook away. We got three plays that we're going to run. Now, how's that going to work out? <laughs> well, they're going to become very predictable, aren't they? Other teams are going to figure them out fairly quickly. It's not going to be that hard. So here they are. They have these three plays. They approach the game the same way in every game, just these same three plays over and over again. Now, so also from the beginning of time, Satan has had only three plays in his playbook. And they're in this verse. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This verse says that these three things are not of the Father, but they are of the world. Sin, Satan. These are the three main ways we conform to the world. John Corson, a Calvary pastor, captures it this way. He says, every temptation, every attack from the enemy, and every worldly seduction falls into one of these three categories because Satan has no other place. In Genesis 3.6, we read that Eve saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what? It was good for food, lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes, it would make one wise. Pride of life. Satan's got his three plays going on there, doesn't he? So his plan of attack in the garden included those three things. And then we see in Matthew chapter 4 that Satan tried to tempt Jesus. He said, you could turn, I'll turn the stones into bread, the lust of the flesh. To look at the kingdoms that could be his, lust of the eyes, to prove himself by jumping from the pinnacle, so pride of life. That's the way the enemy attacks you and me. He puts something in front of us, our flesh desires, puts something in front of us that's pleasing to our eyes, puts something in front of us that we rationalize it's okay and we can handle it. Now this verse goes on to say that these things that Satan tempts us with are not of the Father but of the world. So to conform to the world is simply to love what the world has to offer more than what the Lord has to offer. And as Christians, we can and do sometimes fall for these temptations. When we do, by this verse, we are in a state of conforming. And that's what Paul's warning's about, isn't he? Do not conform to the ways of the world. Definition again for conform. Behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards. Going against or going opposite of God's will. So you're probably thinking, I know, we get it, Pastor Jim. We should not conform to the world, to Satan's plan. We shouldn't give in to Satan's will. We should be in line with what God would have for us. Well, Romans 12.2 also tells us how to guard against us Conforming. It, it gives us the solution. It's right here in front of us. You do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So second command, be transformed. How? It tells us, doesn't it? By renewing your mind. Thinking differently. Thinking differently than the way the world thinks. Thinking in God's way rather than in the world's way. Well, how do we do that? What does God say? Where does God stand on certain things? What is his will? Main point tonight, if you get nothing else, God's will is revealed in his word. God's will is revealed in his word. There's not a thing that you can run into in your life, no matter what you're going through, that you can't find the solution or the answer to in the word of God. It's there. God's will in every situation for our lives is revealed in his word. Now we're fortunate, those of us that are a part of Calvary Chapel, because we are committed to consistently teach through the word of God. We get a good dose, a, a good meal. We get the solid food of God's word every time we gather together. But the question for us, are we taking that that we're getting and applying it, committing to it, applying it in our lives, allowing God's word to transform us, to transform us so that we start thinking differently than what the world would have us to. So we can be assured that it's the truth of God's word that transforms us by renewing our minds. 
those words that we throw around, being renewed, being refreshed, all those things taking us from where we are to where God wants us to be, changing the way we think, changing the way we look at and approach things in our lives based upon God's standards. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and we're going to be looking at what, what God's word is and does in our lives. You may be familiar with these verses. They're quoted quite often. Take another good look at them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, if we were to look at this verse backwards, we see the end result being what? The man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We could read that verse and go, well, yeah, that's what I want to be. As a, as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, how do I get there? Well, let's take a look at it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All in the Greek is all. You got it. Every bit of it. Genesis to the maps. It's all inspired by God. Scripture is God's word, what we all hold in our hands this evening, and it says it's by inspiration, inspiration of God himself. So if you ask the question, what makes the Bible so special and different from the other works of men, it's because the Bible was authored by God himself. It was inspired by God. God is the author of that book. Every other book on the planet can be attributed to what? Human inspiration, can it? It's just men and women writing books. But the Bible is inspired by God. It's written by God. He's the author. The Bible came from a perfect and flawless author. How many other authors that you know are perfect and flawless? Yeah, not too many, right? So then the Bible itself is also perfect and flawless, just like its author. God takes his holy inspired word seriously because... It is his holy inspired word. So in 2 Timothy here, we see that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I like that word, don't you? Because in any other area in our lives, if someone says, hey, you should do this or you should do that because it's profitable, that piques our interest, doesn't it? We are, we're, we're interested in profit, not, not just from a, currency standpoint, but anything that's going to help us do better in life that's profitable to us, beneficial to us, we're interested in that. We, we want to hear what it's all about, don't we? Webster's Dictionary says profitable is to put to use for profit, beneficial, useful, helpful to one's advantage. So the inspired scripture of God is profitable or beneficial to you and me. Now, that's pretty elementary, isn't it? We know that. We've seen that worked out in our lives. It's just that sometimes we get in situations and we have a tendency to forget that, don't we? We start relying on other means to guide us or direct us rather than knowing and understanding that God's word is the very thing that we need to go to, going to the Lord, see what he has to say. So I'll have you turn one more place here. Isaiah chapter 55. Pastor Jeff's teaching through the book of Isaiah. Not quite uh, Isaiah 55 yet. But Isaiah 55, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. We read these first two verses at the beginning of the teaching tonight, but we're going to carry on with that. So Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So in verse 10, we see how water uh, brings about life. It accomplishes that purpose, doesn't it? It says, the rain comes down, snow from heaven, they make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, brings forth life, doesn't it? And then in verse 11, it's compared to the water of the word does as well. It brings life, and it says it accomplishes God's purpose. It shall prosper in the thing for which God sent it. It shall prosper. It's profitable. For what? For the very thing which God sent it for, to transform us, right? So God's word is there to accomplish God's purpose in our lives, and it will accomplish for the very purpose for which God sent it in the first place. Now that's something that we can trust in. Who's saying this? It's God, isn't it? God's saying, my word will do this in your life. And he sends it to us for the purpose of transforming us. Now we know that when we first came to the Lord, accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for our salvation, knowing there was no other way, we were transformed then, weren't we? But God's in a constant state of transforming, isn't he? So with salvation transformed, now we're on the other side of that, walking out our Christian walk, transforming, aren't we? He's constantly doing a work in us to transform us, to further sanctify us, to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Short-term, long-term, it doesn't matter, does it? If you're, you get up in the morning and you're just praying before the Lord, God's got a place that he wants to take you from and a place that he wants to take you to, even in the short time span of that prayer that you're making. And understand that that place that God wants to take you is the best place for you to be, isn't it? How many have ever tried to fight that? Yeah? We do, don't we? unsuccessfully most of the time, <laughs> I would think. But God wants to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be in every area of our life. I love that about God because it just shows how intimately involved he is in our lives, doesn't it? He truly is involved in the everyday small things, big things, whatever it is, he's involved in our lives intimately to take us where we are to where he wants us to be. Now here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists four specific things that God's inspired word is profitable for. Here should perk up. It's profitable. We want to hear what it is, don't we? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Doctrine. What's doctrine? It's something that's taught. Anything. There's a doctrine of fishing. The correct way to fish. You'll have to talk to J.D. about that. I'm not the one to talk about it. I haven't studied that doctrine very much. <laughs> There's the doctrine of golf. I've studied it a little more. Still not all that effective at it. But <laughs> doctrine is anything that's taught. Reproof. Think about reproof as being criticism for a fault. Have you ever criticized someone for a fault in their lives? No, I didn't think you, probably, you guys probably did. <laughs> correction. Think about correction as bringing in con into conformity with a standard. If we're correcting someone, then there must be a right way to do it, right? And then instruction. And that's, instruction is a direction calling for compliance. So doctrine is something that's taught. Reproof is criticism for a fault. Correction is bringing into conformity with a standard. It's set, and instruction is a direction calling for compliance. All for the purpose of and leading to what Paul says here, what? Righteousness. Oh, there's another word that we 
How many of us want to be righteous? We are righteous in Jesus Christ. We know that. But it's a continual growing thing for us as well, isn't it? As we're formed more and more into the image of Christ, it doesn't necessarily make us any more righteous that we already are in Christ. We just have a better understanding of it, don't we? What that is and how we want to live it out in our lives. So then let's look at these individually for our profit, for our benefit, to be transformed. Let's look at these. Doctrine, more importantly, doctrine that leads to righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but for a long time, the word doctrine was intimidating to me. You know, thinking that maybe it's only for theologians, which was another word that was intimidating to me, theologians, you know. And some people look at doctrine and they just think it's, it's divisive or irrelevant. But in the Bible, doctrine would simply be the teaching of God's truth. That's what doctrine is. It's God's truth. Just think about it in that way. So it's not just doctrine, as we see in Scripture, but it's also sound doctrine. When something is sound, it's been tested. It's been proven to be reliable or trusted. So we would know, as we have studied and lived out God's Word in our lives, it's sound doctrine, isn't it? And it'll never let you down. So Scripture describes doctrine in a very positive way. It encourages, it commands sound doctrine or truth. Paul exhorts Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, his book, to speak or to teach the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Tested, reliable, trusted, truth. You know, for me, uh, being here, March 7th, 2018, and knowing years ago when I was here, one thing that I can say about the ministry at Calvary Chapel Greeley is you've gotten a solid dose of sound doctrine from day one. Jeff has been teaching the Word of God ever since the church started. He was committed to it. He stayed with it. Even when the winds of other doctrines come blowing through, Jeff has stayed true to simply teaching the Word of God simply. And I, I so appreciate that because there's so many things out there in the world that they're not standing firm on the sound doctrine of God's Word. They're, they're running their ministries on opinions and those kinds of things. But you can know, you can trust, you can have confidence in the fact every time you show up here, we're going to open God's Word, aren't we? And we're going to study through it. So doctrine that is sound is truth. Sound doctrine, the truth of God's Word. Doctrine then that is not sound would be what? False. It's not, it's not tested. It's not reliable. So it's a false doctrine. It would be the misuse of God's Word or ignoring it altogether, I guess. So we need clear and concise directions to be transformed in our outlook and in our convictions. And the inspired Word of God is sound doctrine for us that should be taught, learned, and lived out in our lives. So when it isn't sound doctrine, in our whole journey to be transformed, we can run into, whether it be radio, TV, uh, churches, books we read, whatever it is, we can run into times when it's not sound doctrine. Or we can be in a conversation with someone, someone that we know, and they're speaking about something that we know and what they're saying is contrary to the Word of God. And how do we handle that? Well, Paul gives us three things to lead a person back to sound doctrine. Still in 2 Timothy, we see reproof. Reproof, criticism for a fault, for bad doctrine. And it's basically saying, you're wrong. Now, I've been in situations where just saying it and saying it in that way didn't always go over that well. <laughs> you know? Regardless of the fact that they're wrong, we still need to be correcting them or giving reproof to them in love, showing grace, don't we? In such a way that, well, you know, what you're saying, uh, I, I understand where you're coming from, but yet you need to understand, you know, that doesn't really line up with the Word of God. What did I just tell them? You're wrong. <laughs> but yet, I didn't say you're wrong. It's all in a matter of how we uh, direct it towards them, right? So reproof is for the purpose of leading to righteousness, using God's inspired word to get there. 
reproof. It's criticism for a fault or bad doctrine. Just pointing it out, isn't it? So reproof, then correction. Correction, as we said, was bringing into conformity with a standard. If we're going to say that they're wrong, however we word that, then we better be able to tell them why they're wrong, right? We better be able to show them from God's word in love, showing grace, correction that leads to righteousness, using God's inspired word to get there, and then instruction, a direction calling for compliance. Here's what you have been taught. You're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. Here's the truth. We open up God's word or we share with them in love, showing grace again, the truth of God. So notice the progression there. Bad doctrine requires reproof, correction, instruction for righteousness using the inspired word of God. That's how we get there. It transforms the way we or they were thinking and it aligns us with God's way of thinking or his will. Can you see the necessity of being immersed in God's word in order to be transformed? It's, it's not just critical, it's life-giving, isn't it? It has to be. In order to be truly transformed by God's standard, we need to be in God's word to get there. Psalm 119.1 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Those life verses that speak to us, that all of us have, those verses that have just really ministered to us some point in time, committing those to memory, hiding them in our hearts so we can pull those out to use in those situations when we really, when we really need it. We need that encouragement. God's word changes us, doesn't it? I heard a song one time that said, God's word is never changing, but it's always changing me. I love that. It's true in my life. I hope it is in yours as well. That as we read and study God's word, it's new every morning like his mercies and those things that are gems that are just hidden in there for us to encourage us and build us up, to teach us, to correct us, to instruct us, to rebuke us, whatever it takes. All of that's part of God's transforming work through his word, isn't it? A challenge for all of us, really. I know all of us have different schedules and different hobbies and things going on in our life. But if we spend more time listening to the media outlets, TV, newspaper, magazines, etc., than we do in God's word, the question would be, what's influencing us more? What's influencing our lives more? I think it could easily be measured by what do we spend more time with, right? And I say this not to convict any one of you, but for us as a whole. It's very easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? There's just so many things out there to capture our attention that the enemy wants us in his attempt to get us to conform to the world. He's just going to come on full force to distract us and get us focused on something we shouldn't be. We probably all need a little bit of a Fox detox, don't you think? <laughs> and that's the good one, right? <laughs> no. If we are influenced by the world, we are by definition conforming. But if we spend more time in God's word, we are under God's influence and we are being transformed. Again, committing ourselves to go from where we are to where he wants us to be. Going from conforming to being transformed. And when we're transformed by it, the result is, as we see in 2 Timothy, the man or woman of God may complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Am I thoroughly equipped for every good work? No. But I am being equipped thoroughly for every good work. I'm a work in progress. Anybody that knows me knows that. Anybody that knows any of us knows that. We're works in progress, aren't we? So sound doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, all necessary for righteousness, prepares us 
to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Understanding and knowing that God has a work for us and he wants us to be complete for that work. He wants us to be fully transformed for that work and he wants us to be equipped for that work. All three of those for the will of God in our lives. So that thing that we all search for, that we desire, that we question, what is God's will for my life? That's the big question, but it comes in all sorts of forms, doesn't it? What is God's will for my life today? What is God's will for my life in this situation, or that situation, or what I'm going through? We're trying to find it. We're trying to figure it out, aren't we? But I believe we ask the wrong question. It's not about what is the will of God for our life, but what is God's will and then applying it to our life. Because this book contains God's will, 100%. Everything that you need to know is in there. So what is God's will and then applying it to our life? A young guy that I did some discipleship with when um, a couple years ago I was working, and he was just a sponge. He would come in just so excited about everything that God's showing him in His Word and His life. And so he came in one day and said, "I think, I think I'm just going to sell everything I got, buy a motorhome, and just travel across the country sharing the gospel." Oh, okay, you know, is that what you feel God's will is for your life? Is that what he wants you to do? Yes, I do. I really do. And I said, well, just continue to pray about it. Continue to seek that out in his word. Obviously, he wants you to share the gospel. He wants all of us to do that. You know, the whole part about buying a motorhome and doing that, I don't know. I'm going to try to guide you there. He come back the next week and I said, how's that going? You know, I see you're still driving your car. You don't have a motorhome yet. And he said, well, you know, I got to looking in God's word and it became very clear to me that God was saying to me, if I'm not faithful in that where I am right now, why would he think I would be clear across the country? I said, yeah, so basically the only benefit there is you, you, know, you got a motorhome, I guess. I don't know. But I just thought, what? God showed that to him. You know, I didn't say that to him. Nobody else counseled him on that. He studied God's word, and that's what he found. And I, I love that. A story in his life because, you know, here you take this, he was a brand new Christian for all practical purposes and, uh, you know, he was truly seeking what God's will was and he was listening <laughs> and then he was going to respond to that and no doubt the young guy's an evangelist, man, he shares Christ wherever he goes. It's just, uh, he's such an encouragement. So what is God's will and then applying it to our life? As we study God's word, as we dive into the meat of what God's word has to say, the more we know of it, the more we grow in it, the more understanding we're going to have about the will of God, aren't we? It's not going to be hidden from us. God wants us to know what his will is. He would rather get us there quickly. Sometimes it takes a little while, maybe six months at times, I don't know, but God has his plan, he has it all prepared, and he wants us to be in his will. It's not something that we have to work at to, to earn specifically. God desires to just give that to us for his, because of his love for us. But we need to be obedient, don't we? When God says go, we need to go, no matter how ridiculous it might sound to someone. When God says do this, the same, you know, same thing, we need to, to act on it quickly. So God's word reveals God's will. Say that after me. God's word reveals God's will. So the next time you find yourself going, well, I'm just not sure what the will of God is, you can say, oh, yeah, God's word reveals God's will. It's very simple, isn't it? But yet we, <laughs> just the way we're made up, we, we make it more difficult sometimes than it really is. So God's word reveals God's will. We're just to follow it, aren't we? It's already there. We're just to follow what God would have. And God's word is full of his will. We are to learn it. We're to know it. So back to Romans chapter 12, we have those two commands. Do not be conformed 
but be transformed. And then we have the promise. What's the promise there? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As I hold up God's word, would we all agree that it's good, acceptable, and perfect? It is, isn't it? So number one, we need to stop being conformed to the pattern of the world, what the world says, what the world promotes, what the world teaches, what's acceptable in the world. And number two, we need to be being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by being in God's word, an ongoing focus, a hunger, a desire to take everything that we can out of this and apply it to our lives. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place where rather than asking the question, man, I wonder what God's will is, to be going, huh, I know what God's will is. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be obedient to it. So then we can prove, we can know what is that good, what is the acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. Because, again, God's word reveals God's will. His good, acceptable, perfect will that he encourages us to live out in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It gives us life. It brings life. It transforms us. Lord, each and every one of us have been in that place. Some of us maybe even this night in that place where we're wondering, Lord, what's your will in my current situation? Whether it be a job, a marriage, uh, or children, finances, whatever it might be, Lord, your will is perfect for our lives. And your will is revealed in your word. So, Father, it's our prayer this evening that no matter what we're going through, Lord, you would guide us to that place in your word that gives us direction, that confirms in our heart what it is that you desire for us to do, to take us from where we are to where you want us to be. Lord, we want to be obedient to that. Sometimes it escapes us, but you have given us your Holy Spirit. As Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our helper, someone that we can cry out to, someone that we can rely upon for guidance and direction and counsel. So, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit working in each and every one of our lives, if we're asking that question here this evening, what is your will? Lord, lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to the portion of Scripture in your word that addresses specifically what it is that we need to hear. You promise us that if we seek you, we will find you. And Lord, that's our desire. That's our heart. We want to do that. So as we leave this place tonight, Lord, we pray that you impress upon our hearts not only just the necessity of being immersed in your word, but just understanding that it's life itself for us. It's living. It's breathing. It's working in us and through us. Lord, we thank you for having it available in our lives. Father, we also know that your word for each one of us that have come to know you as our Lord and Savior, that we were transformed by the truth that was in your word at one time in our lives. And Lord, in a group of this size, there might be someone here who has not yet given their life over to you. Lord, impress upon their hearts this evening that this is a transforming, life-giving message. Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins to give them new life in him of which they would have no hope of salvation without Jesus Christ. There would be no hope of spending eternity in heaven with you and just being in your presence, presence for all eternity. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you just convict them of where they are 
but helping them to understand the depth of the love that you have for them. Lord, you want to take them from where they are right now, conforming to the world, to where you want them to be, which is transformed, finding new life in you. Father, impress these things upon their hearts. Pray that you would just remove any obstacle that might keep from them from seeing who you are and how much that you love them and what you offer them. And that they would turn their lives over to you right now by just praying, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the Savior of the world. I recognize that what is said about you and in the Bible, in God's word, is true. And I rely upon the sacrifice that was made for me by Jesus dying on the cross that I might have a right relationship with you, Father. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I depend upon you, I rely upon you to give me new life in you. It's in your name I pray. So if you've prayed that prayer tonight, I, I just ask that you would uh, let, let me know after the service. I'll be up front here to pray with you. And for the rest of us, I pray that we have been encouraged that none of us leave this place feeling beat down or beat up, but that we feel encouraged of knowing that this book that we hold in our hands is the truth from God, a love letter to us, he has so much he wants to say to us and teach us through it. If we just apply ourselves, we submit ourselves to him to be transformed by all that he has for us. So as we leave this place, we can leave giving thanks and just being excited by what God may show us yet tonight from his word or in the morning when we get up. Sometime tomorrow, the next week, the next month, whenever, Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you and your will that we know is revealed in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Luke's up with the kids, so we're going to close the service here.